early text in Genesis where it talks about human beings have dominion over the earth, right? The dominion, um, and if you if you read Pope Francis, he's very clear about this, and and it's not limited to Catholicism, um, but but he says it doesn't mean domination, right? Dominion, if you look at it, actually means caring for. My guest today, Dr. Janet Rumfeld, is just this remarkable individual with immense humanity and a deep concern for the world in general. The mindset and the heart that she brings to her work as a professor of environmental humanities and in her work as an animal welfare activist is truly informed by this very wise and holistic approach. Now, knowing that she needed to live a life full of meaning, Janet kicked off her career and her education long ago by getting a doctorate in philosophy, religion, and ethics, which of course deepens her approach to everything, including animal welfare and environmental conservation. Now, in today's episode, Janet shares a spiritual, philosophical, and really even religious basis for protecting the earth and the human and non-human animals who live here. She strengthens her perspective by sharing how Pope Francis, um, the late Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, as well as indigenous people around the world, all espouse this critical connection between the earth, humans, and animals. Now, if you want to change the world, I think you'll be inspired by how this woman made doing just that her life's work. So here is my conversation with Dr. Janet Rumfeld. Dr. Janet Rumfeld, how, hi, and welcome to How We Changed the World. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really delighted to be here. Good. I'm delighted also. It's it's good to see you. It's good to have you on the podcast. And I honestly, I started this a year ago. Well, I think you're number 50. I think you're the 50th interview. And I had you on the list at the very beginning. And I, I'm sorry that it took so long to get to this point because you were one of the first people who came to my mind as someone out there, you know, trying to make a better world for everyone and uh, all the animals and the environment and everything. So thank you so much. I'm, I really feel honored to have you here. So, um, so we well, I will... also feel honored to be here. Well, so, thank you. So thank you for the invitation. <laughs> thank you. And I had to um, actually rack my brain about where we met because I think I knew we met like a decade ago or something, only one time. But one of the benefits of social media <laughs> is that you kind of get to keep up with people that you just got to meet. Otherwise, you would have lost that connection. So mm -hmm. I have followed your work um, over the year. And, and I had to dig back. And I think where we might have met. And I think this is it, is at, at DU. Actually, we both worked at DU for, a, you were only there a short while, right? I didn't know yes. that before. I worked there for 10 years, but um, but it was at the same time. But then I think this was in 2013 or 14 when there was a film at DU shown um, called The Ghost in Our Machine by Joanne MacArthur, this famous, yes. uh, wonderful Canadian photographer who who started We Animals. Does that, is that what you remember? That's, okay. that's exactly what I remember. Good. Yes. I've forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, and we saw you afterwards too. At, and so at Native Foods. And so, and I can't remember who you're with, but I think somebody we we're all with knew each other, but yes. anyway, we had a conversation. It was lovely. And I, and, and you made a big impact on me. So um, that's why I think I've kind of followed you along. And I knew that you were interested in animal welfare from, from that and from just what I see you doing all the time in the world. But, but, but I've since developed recently, as I mentioned earlier before we got on it, there's this, there's this richness that you bring to the conversation, this depth of knowledge and, and deep thinking, I guess, and deep concern that really uh, imbues it with a, the weightiness I think these subjects deserve. Um, sometimes when we talk about animal rights, you can have yelling and screaming and silliness and, you know, never really getting to the heart and the soul or even the, uh, the, the way, you know, how to, how to find our way to having respect for, for the environment and for one another and for animals. They're, they're, they're inseparable and knowing that those things all kind of, uh, merge together. So, well, let's get you introduced first of all, because that, that's sort of the, 
the bottom line. And um, I want to start with your academic background because really I think that informs your your entire uh, every step mm-hmm. you take, it would appear. Um, you, you got your doctorate in religion, ethics, and philosophy. Is that right? That's correct. It's yeah. technically in religious studies, but mm-hmm. there are different uh, tracks you can take. And my particular track was religion, ethics, and philosophy. Was that at Florida Florida State? At Florida State University. That's okay. correct. That's why you keep talking about these this girls' soccer team. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> they just won the championship. So, yes. Well, congratulations. Yes, did you play Thank soccer you. while you were there? I, I did not. I'm just a fan. <laughs> well, yeah. fans, fans are most of the equation. Um, yeah. Did you do all your studies in Florida? I did not. Just my, just my doctorate. Because yeah. are, are you from the South? So I'm, I was born in, right outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Oh. But my family is Southern. So, so my, they've all gone back to the South now. So uh-huh. my family lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. And I live there uh, as well. And then my brother lives in Georgia. Wait, you live in Nashville now? No, no, excuse me. Oh, you I did. My, I did live yeah. in Nashville. Yes, yeah. yes. No, no, I live in Denver. Yeah, I thought so. I'm like, oh, yeah, I sorry for the confusion on that. Well, no. that, you know, with social media, that can happen. You could be living anywhere, and I would have no <laughs> yeah. idea. Um, but you're currently a professor at Regis University. Um, yeah. uh, you're the associate dean of online education. I know there was a switch there for you. I want to ask you when you went from. Uh, chairing one department to, to doing this. So I think it was a, ma- a shift in focus. Um, you're also the board president at the Africa Network for Animal Welfare USA, um, which was originally the reason I wanted to talk to you about that particular organization, but my interest has grown as I get to know more about. So I want to cover that for sure, as well as other topics. Sure. You also, um, you're the chair at Ivory Free Colorado. Is that still a thing? So it, we're probably going to sunset it. So that was how I came in to, you know, to, to be honest, I came in by chairing that committee and that came was an in initiative, where? came into Anow USA. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was how I came in. And I came into that uh, work was that I chaired that committee. And that was an initiative to get the sale of ivory products banned in the state of Colorado. It expanded out to multiple species. We were successful. We partnered with some other organizations. We were successful at getting it uh, passed uh, at one level, but then it got stopped at the Senate. And so it, it didn't get out of committee. So that's what initially happened. And so, and then after that, you know, there just wasn't a lot of momentum because it, it, because it actually costs a lot of money uh, to, to try to get an initiative uh, Does passed it? legislatively. You know, yes. I didn't know that. So that, yeah. that's good information to have. <clears throat> I, I wasn't going to go down this track, but I'm very curious why. So it made it through the House, the state legislature? It made it through the House. That's mm-hmm. correct. The state House, but it did not make it. Well, excuse me. It made it through committee, the House okay. committee. Okay. And it, it did not make it through the Senate committee. And do you... Do you know why? I, I'm just curious, and, and I don't want to go too far afield on, on where we're headed, but why would people in Colorado be opposed to selling the tusks or whatever of, or import them mm. of, of, I don't know, endangered species, imperiled species? What would be the argument? Well, we, we try to address some of this, but it, it has to do with, I mean, we tried to make exceptions for, for, you know, antiques, you know, ivory piano keys, ivory handled guns that are antiques, things like that. Okay. But nevertheless, there, there were people who were concerned about the implications, uh, for gun ownership. And then some people felt that it just simply wasn't necessary because of the federal, uh, bans. I see. And, yeah. Well, so that they, might that would hold more water, I guess. Although, I don't know where we're at with that in the in the federal. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a heavier lift, you know. And you try to get something covered at, at these days, it's almost like not it's not even a feasible one. But um, yeah, well, um, it, it's good to raise awareness. There's a lot of ways to do this, and uh, you know, the law is, is one, but there's certainly education is another, and. Um, so, and then does that, and then you also just to c- continue on with some of your, your pa- past or current um, endeavors, you, you're the race director or the founder and the race director at Running Wild, the Running Wild Race, which is that still a thing? I know, I know it stopped in during COVID, I think. 
It stopped. And, well, we actually had a virtual run in 2021. Right now we're on a bit of a pause because we are trying to work through whether we can create an immersive virtual experience for people. So we're exploring platforms uh, and ways in which we might be able to do that. Because what we is feel a virtual like we, run? Does that mean you all do it on your own? That's correct. So okay. it wouldn't be a, a ground, we would yeah. not be a ground-based run. We did a virtual run, uh, but we didn't have an immersive experience yeah. where yeah. you had an app to go with it. And so I we see. think that would be the most effective way of doing this. We have some great ideas about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but creating apps costs money. And so yeah. we're trying to explore how we might be able to do that. I know somebody who might be able to help you out. So we, oh, we can talk great. about that later. Yeah, that'd <laughs> um, be wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, originally, um, as I said, I wanted to have you on uh, to talk primarily about the African Network for Animal Welfare. I don't think it's something that a lot of people are aware of. It's a, a small organization. Um, so uh, maybe we could begin with your, your role as the board chair. I know this is for the... Uh, well, we're going to call it ANA from now on, but just so people know it's Animal mm -hmm. Network, African Network for, sorry, yeah, for Animal Welfare, African Network for Animal. Right. So we'll call it ANA, but you're the, the chairman chair of the board for uh, ANA USA, which is different, but connected. So um, so can you just talk about your role and maybe some of the, the philosophy of ANA in general and how it carries out its work? Sure. Uh, so, ANAU USA or ANAU, oh. we are the sister organization for ANAU uh, in Nairobi, right? So, Kenya. yes, we're con yes in, yeah. in Nairobi, Kenya, and we're connected with them, uh, and we partner with them. Uh, but it's initially, my role as the board chair um, is to help oversee uh, the operations to help maintain transparency. Uh, and to ensure, provide leadership along with the executive committee, right? So I'm yeah. not doing any of that by myself. Yeah. We do have a CEO, Dr. Catherine Baxter. Yeah. And uh, she's on the, on the ground every day doing the operations work. We're kind of doing it at the meta level, right? And so because we're a one-person organization, our board has to be a little more hands-on uh, than what you might find yeah. in other organizations. Yeah. Now, that's not true of our sister organization in Kenya. Uh, they have a large staff. Yeah. And so uh, the philosophy that we have is One Health, which is the notion that the welfare of people, planet, and non-human animals is intertwined. And so the work that we attempt to do is place-based to promote uh, harmonious existence between people and non-human animals and of course the environment so you know i i like to say that what's good for animals is good for people is good for the environment you can't help animals or the environment without helping people and you can you can say that in any way you want to say it you can't help the environment without helping right. people and non-human right. animals right it's because we're interconnected and intertwined yeah. and so that's the kind of work that that we promote uh, some of that on the ground work. There's also some meta level work that has to do with, and this is this is our partner uh, in Kenya. They're they're spearheading the work with the UN uh, and doing some of those initiatives. What I like to think of as meta work, but our work is more focused on, uh, on raising funds mm -hmm. for those ground based uh, projects, and then also helping to bring over veterinarians from the U.S. and uh, all kinds of projects that happen uh, along those lines. But essentially, depending on the trip, the goal is to provide medicines, vaccines, uh, treatment for dogs, cats, and donkeys. A lot of people oh. don't know, but donkeys are working animals in Africa, and so their health is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and in East Africa, as, as, as everywhere, rabies is a zoonotic disease, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's very important not only to help vaccinate rabies, cats, and donkeys, excuse me, to vaccinate dogs, cats, and donkeys against rabies um, for their health, for animal health, but also for people's health. Oh, okay. So, well, and then yeah. the, the, I'm, I'm sorry, do you say another or Anna? Anna. I've been saying yeah. it the wrong way the whole time. Well, and I've heard it said, I don't know what Anna. Okay. I'll try to, I'll try to stick with that. Um, so is, 
their work in, in Kenya and maybe perhaps I think there's some other places in Africa they partner with who are, you know, um, but it does involve protection as well of endangered species or imperiled species, correct? Because I, I saw a lot about traps and, you know, unethical trapping. And- so, yeah, so there's a desnaring project mm-hmm. uh, where people go out into the bush and clear it of the snares that poachers use to trap animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna also helped to employ uh, a group of guardians in Kasigao, and uh, Kasigao is a migration between Savo East and West for mm-hmm. animals. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's an example of, of promoting uh, what we might think of as, as wildlife livelihoods, right. right? But bringing people from the local community into those guardianships and then they benefit from protecting the wildlife so that's an example of that i heard you discussing somewhere about um a study that someone did because when you're talking about protecting wildlife in areas where people make their living from taking the lives or selling the ivory or whatever donkey skins are apparently a big i hadn't been aware of that either that that's a a coveted material i guess in in china at least is that is that true have you seen donkey skin used or like made into something i haven't i haven't seen it but it's primarily a a a kind of gelatin that they make and they use it in traditional chinese medicine and then they also use the skins and it's a very serious problem it's a very serious problem yes because uh the number of because donkeys don't uh breed well in uh, well donkey i don't even know if captivity is the right word because donkeys are a domesticated animal so mm-hmm. uh, but there's maybe they're just slow breeders but mm-hmm. at, at any rate uh it's an issue yeah it's an issue i'm not sure about that i have to yeah. be honest but but what i know is the numbers of donkeys are shrinking because they're being exported to other countries mm-hmm. uh, primarily china Mm-hmm. And that affects that affects workers on the ground because they need those donkeys to carry out their livelihoods, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a serious problem that they're and being sold in that trade. Is and now are they being sold illegally? Is that what you're saying? Or some, I don't believe there. I don't believe illegal. it's illegal. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe well, it's that's illegal. That's even harder to. That's harder yeah. to fight than if it's not even illegal. Um, but is and now uh, in Africa also? They are also working. Oh, oh. Actually, before we before we move on to that, I just wanted to finish the thought about um, you, you. You we were talking about how having them having any animals there can sometimes for a culture be it's part of their livelihood, right? And I yeah. and I think you mentioned how important it is for like there's a study on on elephants, and someone was able to demonstrate how. Uh, an elephant who is alive was more valuable to them in terms of income and um, bringing people bringing tourism in and so forth rather than killing them and taking their tusks and selling them so uh, education you know it sounds like that might be a part of what they do as well or that yeah that's the value anyway that's right that's right and and so so part of what i think organizations attempt to do is to help people in the local community participate in the value of, in the example you decided, in the ecotourism of elephants, mm-hmm. right? So that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that they're benefiting from it because elephants, as wonderful and fantastic, and I do think they are wonderful, fantastic, fascinating animals, um, they can be challenging to live next to. Yeah, uh, sure. they, can, they can raid crops. Yeah, uh, and things like that, and and it really affects community livelihoods, mm-hmm. and so it's very very important for organizations to help people uh, make money by protecting them. And yeah. and I'm not, you know, I have to admit that I'm not an expert on the donkey trade. Sure. Uh, so so I want to make that clear. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not sure whether it is or is not illegal. I don't mm-hmm. think it's illegal, but I'm not positive. So yeah. it's something well, I'd have to You don't have on. to be an expert in everything. You're an expert <laughs> in many other things. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I guess what is, is does a now get involved with um, stopping illegal poaching or is it more of an educational and uh, livelihood focusing? Would you say? I believe it's more educational and livelihood focused, but, mm-hmm. but they do uh, work to, you know, uh, advocate for legislation. Yeah. 
How did you how did you get involved in that in the first place? Like what what drew you in and how did you even meet them? Anna? Yeah. Yeah. So so I that's how I, I got involved with them because uh, so in in twenty fourteen I was actually scrolling through social media, Facebook, which you know, rightly gets a bad rap. Yeah. Or, I agree. I agree. Or, yeah. So so for all of the things that it promotes. But in this instance, I, I came across uh, what was then the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. Um, Say that now the, the, the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. I came across oh. a post and they were talking about the poaching of elephants. And this is something that I thought we had resolved in the yeah, late 80s, right? early 90s, right? right? Yeah. And so this particular incident is really the impetus for how I got involved in all of this work. Because I was pretty horrified by what I was reading. And so, because what I do is research, uh, I couldn't let it go. I, I had to, I had to look into it. And what, what I realized is that we are likely, uh, of course, this is debated, but we are likely in the beginnings of the sixth mass animal extinction mm. and that we are losing species at an alarming rate. Mm. And in fact, one of the, the 2019, I think one of their UN reports that uh, was issued indicated that we are on track to lose about a million species of flora and fauna, and some of those will be lost within decades. Yeah. So it's I tragic. became very, it's, yeah, and very, shocking because it's still it, not very well known. It's not. It's yeah, not. It's oddly um, so, despite people's efforts, so. like racing extinction and other efforts. But yeah. Yeah. So, so I, once I started getting immersed in it, because as you know, I'm in, I'm in the humanities, I'm a, a religious studies, uh, you know, scholar. And, but once I began to get immersed in this literature, uh, I realized that the problem was interrelated or intertwined with the environment and people. Yeah. And so, so I, I just started putting, I, what I realized is, I I couldn't sit on the sidelines. Like I had to do something. I was I've always been I've been a lifelong animal lover, um, and I've always been a person who appreciated and enjoyed the environment. And of course, I love people. Um, once I realized the the level of the crisis that we were in, that's when I really said, "Okay, Janet, yeah, you've got to do something, right?" So I mm. I just started putting some feelers out into the community, and they. Actually, what happened is a friend reached out to me about, about Ivory Free Colorado. And I joined the committee, and then they eventually asked me to chair it. Um, that just keeps so happening to you. Yeah, so that's, that's, what, that's how I got involved with Anal USA. And eventually, uh, I, I, I just joined the board and then uh, joined the board of Anal in Nairobi. So, and when was that? Because it's not a really old organization, I don't believe, right? No, I, I came mean, into it in 2016. Uh, hmm. And then uh, I became the board president in 2019. You know, that's really impressive because this is what this whole show is about, right? It's just like, how do we change the world? But And it's always, I think, the hardest thing for people. Initially, when I started this podcast, I thought we were going to focus on every person trying to help the the listening audience see how they can get involved and that's um or, or learn how they mm. can get involved in something and whatever it is doesn't matter mm. really what it is just pick pick your poison it's plenty to pick from <laughs> um and it, you know it has evolved more into people talking about what they do but I, I i'm i'm wanting to especially for going into the next year and starting early um focus more on how people like yourself can explain and demonstrate like how do you do it how do you take action you know a lot of us will do smaller things like maybe we'll cut meat out of our diet or we'll you know do something with our living more sustainably and do different and those are all important things to do but then there's right. people who like when i like when you see something like you come across something so stark like how much plastic is in the ocean or, or any number mm -hmm. of issues you know like, like you, as you did with imperiled species what do you do? You know, most people just don't know where to start, so they don't. So you just found a way, though. You, 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 you. When you said you put it out to your community, if you don't mind getting a little granular about it, 
Like, what does that mean? Like, you, for, first of all, it helps to be part of a community. You're part of a university. You're probably yes. engaged in a number of other things. Is that is that where this came from? Is you said your own community? You just did you did you? How did you ask people? I'm getting mm -hmm. very specific here, but yeah, you put out an sure. email. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a great question. Um, I, I think the first thing that I did is is exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I let colleagues know. Uh, that I was concerned about this. And concern isn't even the right word. Alarmed yeah. is the right word. Scared. And then I, yeah, scared. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then I also, you know, that's what also about the same time that I started the Running Wild Race. I started the Running Wild Race in 2015. Yeah. And so Something people. Something you've knew, never done before. Something, oh, no. I mean. Yeah. So you figured great. out how. Okay. So that I'm just saying it takes some initiative. Okay. I'm going to start a race. That's raise right. money for this fund and awareness. Yeah. Yes, and, and I mean, I it it, yeah. it has been it has worked. I I I have been uh, a lifelong runner. Now it's a little more what I refer to as a slog, a slow jog when I run. But but I but I would be a good a good term for a good way to raise money for the uninitiated. Anyway, yeah. 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 So I've always I've always enjoyed running, and uh, also I had a good community of friends that I turned to. Who were also, you know, as I shared with them some of this information, they were very interested, and we worked together mm -hmm. as a group uh, uh, to start the race. So I good. wasn't alone. That's lesson I number one. Lesson number one. Reach and out then and get some some allies. Yeah, get some help. And then yeah. I have to I have to give a huge shout out to my university, Regis. They were incredibly supportive from the beginning. Hmm. They al they allowed us to use the facilities, the grounds. Hmm. Uh, they lent their resources and really? their marketing capabilities. Oh, all of nice, it. nice. Yeah, and um, that's huge. It, it, it's huge. And so, in a sense, before before Ivory Free Colorado ever came along, uh, or I, you know, before it ever came along, I was already getting involved in mm -hmm. in yeah. imperiled species and protecting them. And so. You know, that's that's kind of, I think, why I received the email. But the email did come from a colleague. Mm. Oh, and a I colleague see. said, yeah. here's here's a committee. They're they're looking oh. for people who are interested in joining. Are you yeah. interested? Yeah. But yeah, I am. Interested. So it doesn't take I mean, it does take something. But just to get the word out is really huge. You know, I it, and, and that's how it is with anything. If you're looking for a job, whatever it is, you just have to. But sometimes it's that first step in just saying, where do I even begin? I'm not part of a community. So I really appreciate you sharing that with because I personally am always mm -hmm. really wanting to know too, is how everyone says, just go get involved. It's like, I don't know how to, but that's um, right. Yeah. And, and may I add one other thing? Um, I think a concept from Buddhism for me was what's helpful, the beginner's mind. Yeah. Because, because as I entered into this work, I really didn't know a lot about nonprofits. I didn't. I certainly mm -hmm. didn't know about you know a lot about wildlife legislation. Yeah, and and, yeah. and I had to spend a considerable amount of time learning about those things and learning from other people and and learning about the laws from other experts. And so yeah. having that beginner's mind, I think, is is really critical just uh, to, to any kind of success. And I don't know if you said it in this in this conversation before, or if I read you somewhere where you said that curiosity was sort of the spark for you at the beginning. And that's oh, that's nice. what it is because once you, I mean, I for me it was with the Middle East, and I, I ended up writing a book about the, the Middle East, and and that led to my working at DU for ten years, which led to me starting a nonprofit. And, you know, and you and mm -hmm. and but it was a curiosity I had at the very beginning. This like I don't know anything about any of this. Right except for some specific thing I'd been, you know, family had met, but, but it was small. Mm -hmm. And then, but if something grabs you, it, it's like, I listen to that, right. Because it's telling you, you might want to check this out. And, and it, and it, I'm sure it's really enriched your own life being a part of all of this, as well as what the, what you've done for, you know, the movement as well. If we'll absolutely. call it a movement. Yeah. yeah got, well, it's absolutely changed my life. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I would assume in a good way. Sometimes people say about yes. how we change the world. It's like, in what way? It's like, yeah. I guess I've got to add that in the title. <laughs> I was hoping it was, it was, uh, assumed, but, or intimated. Um, what, so, so you, you got this PhD in, um, religion, ethics, and philosophy. And I'm wondering though, if we can just 
back up on two issues. One, what drew you to that? Like, what was your, is it just your nature, you know, that, that would make you think that way? And then also I wanted you to talk about where you, where your love for animals came from, because that's, it's just part of your overall love, but I'm just curious about those two things and sorry to put them into one question, but I don't want to forget. <laughs> I'll make you forget. Sure. Yeah. No, thank, thanks for the question. So I, I grew up in a very religiously devout family and there are some very pot positive things that come out of, of being mind, raised in that. Sorry. Do you mind talking ahead. about what, what faith? No, it was, it was a, a Baptist. Oh, really? Okay. And yes. So very, very, you know, at, at the time it would have been called Fundamentalist Baptist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Church. And so uh, there's some positive things that I think are benefits that come from growing mm -hmm. up in that environment. Um, I think one is at a relatively young age, you're, you're exposed to what, you know, is what I think of as big questions in life. Right. Big questions about the meaning of life, the purpose of your life, mm -hmm. why are we here, those kinds of things. Uh, I think another benefit is an emphasis on ethics. Like I, you're, you're taught from a very young age to think about, you know, how you ought to live your life ethically, you know. And it's the basic stuff about being honest and yeah, loving one's important. neighbor. Yeah. Right. That, that foundation, right? Yeah. Um, and then I also think uh, there's a sense in, in which I think religious traditions at their best uh, teach people or open people up to transcendence. Mm. Right? And, and there are different ways that people conceptualize transcendence, but I like to think about it as opening, it opened me up to understanding that, the, that my life that, that the world and the universe was bigger than just me and my life, right? Mm -hmm. So a, a, a sort of notion that this isn't just about me, that life yeah. isn't just about me. Yeah. Um, and it isn't even just about my particular community. Life is much bigger than any of that. Yeah. And so, so it taught me that. And, and I will say that while I deeply appreciated those teachings, I also chafed against the rigidity of the environment I grew up in. I, and you mentioned this already with curiosity. I always had a lot of questions. Yeah. And was always asking questions. Yeah. Um, and in the environment that I grew up in, in that fundamentalist environment, I, I didn't get satisfactory answers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so I, I think what, what, when it came to thinking about you know, how I wanted to spend my time, you know, in college and university. I started at a business major. That yeah. wasn't satisfying. Yeah. And I sort of morphed in, yeah. into, uh, or the path morphed into the religion, ethics, and philosophy. But the bottom line is, I, I think that growing up in that environment, I was very curious, but I was also pretty um, psychologically constricted. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to branch out, but I had a lot of anxiety about whether this was the right thing to do. So, so I, I think it felt safer for me to pursue acade the academic questions. Uh, and that's the path I went on. Yeah. Right? Be because uh, it was, I think I also had kind of a philosophical mindset, but, but it allowed me to approach uh, the questions, learn about very diverse perspectives. Um, within a very de-escalated environment, right? You, you, it, it, well. it allowed me to engage very deep ideas uh, and, and to dig deep, to think critically about their arguments, right? And then think about where I stood mm. in, in respect to those things. And so in, in essence, it allowed me to work through my own um, stuff with yeah. religion. Yeah. And I was able to broaden my perspective. Uh, I was able to, in a sense, uh, come to navigate my own journey on a much different trajectory than I started out on. Uh, when so you started your studies, you mean? So from yes. when you got you started your PhD to when you came um, out, changed that's everything? That's right. Yes, changed everything for me. And even, yes, it changed everything for me yeah. uh, because of the level of of academic rigor that you have to go through. Sure. I'm not sure it works this way for everybody, but for right. me, I, I took their ideas very seriously. And even 
what I came away with is that even if I don't necessarily agree with this religious philosophy, or even necessarily with this religion, there is deep, deep wisdom in these religious oh, traditions. Oh, to be mind unbelievable. I, yes. Yeah. No, I there have is. a lot yeah. to learn. That's right. And and we have and these religious traditions have a lot to learn from each other. So mm -hmm. I came away with a profound appreciation for that. And uh, like I said, it opened me up. It opened up my thinking. It opened up my way of life and really opened doors for me in terms of, of thinking about what I could do. And it, when you grow up in very uh, narrow environments, there are certain things women are supposed to do. They're not supposed to do certain, you know, you're, you're, at least for me, I always grew up with a sense of, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. And, it isn't that I've lost that focus, yeah. but it's that, I, it's that I have a kind of freedom about it. And I understand that doing the right thing can be uh, understood in different ways. Yeah, that and make enjoyed. Sense? And yes, because That's when right. you're choosing it, it's like, why well, this feels yeah. good to go help this donkey, you know, keep his skin. I mean, to be quite literal, you know, I mean, right. it feels good. You're not doing it because it's the right thing to do. And that's the difference sometimes between religion and philosophy or religion and, right. and um, just, you know, having, you can have it within the context of religion, but in, if it's an open forum discussion. And I will say, I think Judaism is very strong in that because it is one of those ancient, uh, religions that really, um, it, it's all about, no one agrees on any of it. And it's all about discussion of every little aspect of life, you know, right. and, and everybody weighs in on it. And, and I do think that you, you get incredible wisdom about life that isn't even necessarily about God and religion and, you know, so forth. It's just the the bigger issues of life. And, and I think they all tend to do that. I wish I had known you. I, I guess I did know you for part of it, but I didn't know that you had the side to you because I used to take students who were Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and then eventually everyone, um, you mm -hmm. know, and, and work with them for a year to learn each other's religion. And then we'd take them to the Middle East and then they could work with kids in their religions there too. And it was the, so I found such depth in, cause I myself then had to really go deep into Islam and Judaism and Christianity right. as we had speakers and texts and so forth. And yeah, you could, I mean, it's the most fascinating for people who may hate religion, just reading those texts and seeing how people come at it from different perspectives is is just it, it it informs us today we couldn't need it more you know when 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 i think about someone and and your era that when you went to school is quite close to mine um thinking about religion being important i don't know that i would have seen it that way then like i i, I didn't i don't i thought of religion even though i grew up very catholic very nine well, probably a total of 11 years, including some college in a Catholic school, that very much informed my thing. And I was, I'd had enough at that point. And I can't mm -hmm. imagine, I love how you did it and how you chose to go, you know, really make a, a study of it. And cause it's fascinating, fascinating. And, and it's, and, and actually that'll, that, that really does segue well into our next subject because, um, as I mentioned earlier to you, I think that you, I heard a discussion that you had um, through Anna, get it right, um, <laughs> about the impact of philosophy and religion on the environment and on the treatment mm -hmm. of animals. And it's, mm -hmm. it's such a necessary lens to bring to the understanding of this because, and, and you can kind of see if you've, anyone who's been following either of these sort of uh, efforts to protect an protect animals or protect the environment, you can see how it's morphing into other areas like art. I've had a couple of people on who talk about the connection mm -hmm. of understanding the grief of the environment, environmental, mm -hmm. you know, implosion, I guess I hate to, for lack of a better word, um, yes. through art. How do you experience it? How do you express your feelings about how you're feeling about that? And, um, and, and also how do you teach other people about it? And I think religion and philosophy is another, another element that we can use or other tools we can use to, to mine that sort of. So, um, and, and I want to repeat the conversation that you'd had earlier that was so insightful, but I would like to put a link on it um, so that people can go listen. It's just, it was a very deep and rich conversation um, between yourself and I think the chair of Anna, uh, the main Anna, I don't know what to call it, from yes. uh, Central yes. <laughs> in Africa. 
Please, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And and one of the things that they they had asked the the person asking the questions, um, mon- moderator, um, was asking, can you think of some examples where you've seen religion um, be uh, – shouldn't use these words at all, but maybe an impediment to the to the health of animals or the environment. The ways people were following their religion and it had a negative right. impact. And I'm wondering if you remember, what, you know, what you're thinking about that. Sure, I don't or, remember what I other was, examples. Yeah, yes. Well, I, I don't mean, remember. What, you were talking. I know one thing is the mis the misvaluing of of ancient texts, like in Genesis. You know, when they're talking about a different that's ways right. that that it's presented. And that's right. Yeah, so when when you look at at those those early texts in Genesis where it talks about human beings have dominion over the earth, yeah, right. The dominion, um, and if you if you read Pope Francis, he's very clear about this, and and it's not limited to Catholicism. No, um, but but he says it doesn't mean domination, right? Dominion, if you look at it, actually means caring for. Mm. And and so it's not a, it's not an idea about dominating. Mm-hmm. It's about an it's about an idea of caring for the earth. And if you've ever tended a garden, you know that you don't have dominion. <laughs> you don't dominate you can, a garden. You can want to have it all you love, <laughs> right? All day long, yeah. It, exactly, it doesn't yeah. work. And and so I I think what the helpful idea. And there are many many helpful ideas in Pope Francis's encyclical uh, Laudato Si. But but one thing that he he talks about and and we we've talked about in a presentation that I recently did uh, and people come at this in different ways but but I think what you get in that encyclical the letter that he wrote is a responsible anthropocentrism mm-hmm. and, and not mm-hmm. an not an excessive anthropocentrism which is a sense in which when you read uh, Pope Francis. He does believe that the earth was created for humans to use and even non-human animals. But here's the key for him. He, he doesn't believe it was simply created for them, for humans. Right? Or only. So, yes, right. Yeah. That's right. Not merely, it, 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 it's, they weren't merely created for us and for our use, which cuts out exploitation. Now, there's a, a larger philosophical debate that I want to point to where some people are bio, are they're biocentrists, they're not anthropocentric, or they're ecocentric. Biocentric would mean that there's a kind of hierarchy of being in which anyone who's a biological being is kind of at the at the top of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Ecocentrism is this kind of notion of people, planet, non-human animals, all equal. Anthropocentrism puts people at the top. Right. But 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 for someone, I th- I think uh, as at least as I read Pope Francis, mm-hmm. what I hear him saying is yes, anthropocentrism, but but really really qualified with responsibilities and obligations. Uh, toward the, the environment, other people, especially the marginalized who are going to be affected most, uh, or at least first, mm-hmm. by climate change, first, and non-human yeah. animals. So he does He does also mention non-human, non-human absolutely. animals. Okay, and, yeah. And not absolutely talks, yeah. not just the environment, he absolutely talks about the, the preservation of, of biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And, and and for him, the call from God to do so. He says we have no right. We have no right uh, to uh, allow or to cause species to go extinct. Yeah, yeah. Right? We I, should I, be about protecting them. I'm really happy to hear that. And, I, and I'm curious as to whether that, ha- what, what year did that come out? Do you know? I'm like, has it been a decade or so? It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while. And in fact, yeah. the second one just now, oh. just now wrote a follow-up. And I haven't read it yet. Oh. But he just now wrote a follow-up, which yeah. which I believe is is the first time a pope has ever written a follow-up to his own encyclical. So I haven't read it yet, but it does speak to how important he thinks this issue is of caring for the environment. And, and he recognizes an, uh, an integral ecology. He recognizes our, in, our interrelation, right? People, planet, non-human animals, yeah. we are interconnected. And he strongly recognizes that in Laudato Si. I wonder if he and Thich Nhat Hanh ever had a conversation. <laughs> I don't think they did, but it would have been interesting. Maybe they did. I don't. I don't know of it. I mean, is that that is his 
I don't know if he would go so far as to say interbeing. I don't know if, if the Pope would go that far, but it's the same. Sounds like the same message. We are we are yeah. all responsible yes. and part of one another. And yeah, and, and I think they're pa- I think they're parallel ideas, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. don't I don't necess- I think there are differences, um, but I think at the same time, to the to the degree that interbeing recognizes inter connection and mm-hmm. interdependence mm-hmm. there's a connection with with what pope Fran- what I, at least what i believe pope francis is teaching well i'm and i hope that that is actually i'm so i'm can't wait to find that his newest one and read that and and i just really hope it's being shared which it probably is with with you know yeah. the churches around the world um because it's that kind of leadership we really need whether no matter whether we're talking because some people will only listen to that and other people yes. won't listen to that at all, but they, they will get it from perhaps another more philosophical or just a pragmatic sense. You know, the, right. we're, harm, we're, we're hurting ourselves. If you have no faith, you have no philosophy, you have no belief in anything other than yourself, even if you're self-focused, there's an interest in preserving both animals and the planet. Yes. So there's really, the, you know, it's a confusing conundrum why so many people can't see it despite the fact that it's right in front of us um i I can only think that greed is blinding because some of it isn't greed some of it is survival so you look you think about someone like the um the inuit uh of uh indigenous people say of, of the arctic i know in northern canada this is the case where you know they are still allowed to hunt whales for example um and for cultural reasons not for survival reasons but for cultural reasons which is another thing we didn't talk about yet but it's it but it also is a huge factor on on how well we care for animals and and the environment um because if that is your culture to hunt whales or to hunt um any dolphins in japan you know if you want to go that far um you know how how do we deal with that and and i think you spoke to that somewhere really um beautifully as well like that and understanding that we have to acknowledge the reality that people are making their living this way people are you know even if it's something that is harming the existence of animals welfare or or existence this is there has to be a accommodation and a, and a sensitivity to people's survival. This is how they That's know right. how to survive. You know? That's right. There, there have, I mean, again, you can't, you can't protect a species or an animal without taking right. people into account. Yeah. And, and if you, if, if there is a desire, and I also think it's very important that, that these initiatives, any kind of initiative is place-based, community-supported, and community-desired. Right. And, and sometimes yeah. that desire can take place through dialogue, but yeah. I don't think it's something that can be imposed. I think it's, it's something that the community has to come to and then solutions can be worked out. And sometimes they come up with solutions, you know, often on their own. Sure. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah, until you think about something, you don't think about it, you know? So once right. you realize it's like people cutting down a lot of African countries where they've, they've cut down the, um, not the banyan trees. What are the trees that that protect the the shoreline? I'm for, gosh, I can't believe I forget. I know the I know the word so well, but I can't think exactly what they're called. But they're they're yeah. they're protecting against erosion, and they're planted all along shorelines, and they're naturally and and people go and ch- even though they're already suffering so many effects of climate change, they're cutting these trees down to use the firewood or even though they have right. stoves because that's what they knew, you know, it's so much of it is habit. And, and so people are also, once they learn that they're harming themselves, well, of course you're going to stop doing that, but you have to right. learn. And there's a big education to do pretty quickly. You know, another thing that you, you mentioned, I think that Pope Francis was talking about, or maybe this is just the philosophy of the Catholic church is that, um, I, should, I guess I should know this, <laughs> that uh, that man was formed, man, humankind, but they said in those days, just man, uh, was formed from human, or from dust, that we are mm-hmm. dust. And they even do that, you know, we come That's from right. dust to dust, we shall return, which really is so similar to how indigenous people think that we are the earth, like we are the water, and people always think it's symbolic, and they're not right. speaking symbolically, they're speaking literally, but everyone's about, but that's when you are when you are something, you can't harm it in any kind of a logical premise. So, without um, harming yourself, right? Without harming yourself, yeah, and yeah, and, and your children and your 
So even though a lot, that's right. So even though a lot of religious traditions uh, would recognize the materiality of our being, um, they might they might also believe that there's a soul or an immaterial part, but that doesn't negate the material aspect of our being, and it doesn't change anything you just said. If, Can if you we say more about that? Because I'm not sure, sure I even understand what that means exactly. The materiality. I mean, I know the uh, phrase, but sure, just just that we are made from you know, like you just mentioned. Oh, in the Bible, it's dust, but we know that we are comprised of you know atoms and cells and um, if I you see. read a book like The Journey of the Universe, which is a, yes. a book that discusses of the evolution of human beings, we're stardust, right? right? We yeah. are material beings. So yeah. so one can hold to a philosophy which says, you know, people are more than material beings, but we're not less than, mm. right? We are always material beings, at least, you know, mm. in religious philosophy, human beings are material beings. Now, again, there may be some afterlife, what people believe about those things, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's different than what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. But we don't get away from that. And, and sometimes I think religious traditions, um, people focus about the afterlife or their immateriality, their soulishness, True. or their soul really, to the exclusion yeah. of, of the material world. And that's, that's a danger, I think. I think that's the whole... I mean, that feels, at least in Christianity, that is what it is. This is not important. What's important is what's next. And and right. that might be the crux of the issue, actually. Well, yeah, and that's that, exactly what Pope Francis is saying is not the which case. Is, which is so interesting because he's really, and, and I wanted to ask you about this, because if, if, if let's just use the, the Christian belief, and, and, and I know that others believe it as well, other, sure. especially monotheistic religions, um, believe that we are you know that they we are created by god like that that Mm -hmm. maybe we don't believe in that we're stardust you know but maybe we we believe that there is a creator who made this made adam and eve um but that same person says we are dust so 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 they're they're agreeing in a sense that we there is this materiality whether god created humans full formed ready to go or whether we came from stardust which and by the way i'm going to put a link to that that video or that show as well about brian swim um about how we evolve because that really uh, informs this conversation too and i think it's one of the best things i've ever seen is a pbs series and and but you can get different places and it's fascinating for it's a fascinating way to to add in a, a dimension to this conversation but that's a great point that you just made. Yeah, I, that, I that didn't. Is, it's in the text. It's in the ancient sacred text, right? It's there that we come from dust. That's right. Yeah. It's it, yeah. And, and so, they and, and we and to dust you return. Yeah. So, so that's a, that is the Islam also I think believes. I mean, because yes. these texts are built on one another. Mm-hmm. So Christian Judeo is well known that Christians are based on Jude. Jewish text, but then Islam is right. also based and believes so many things that that uh, right. the other monotheistic religions do too. And you know, I have to insert this: there are different sure. beliefs about the soul within those traditions. So <laughs> I just want—I don't really want to necessarily get into it, but but we have to recognize there are different ideas about the soul. Oh, so. about and about who is God, and yeah, That's right. I mean, yeah. There, there's there's as many things that separate them <laughs> as as we can see day yeah. to day, and it's That's all right. it's. Uh, ugly glory at this point. Um, I'm I'm wanting to ask you about this trip coming up, and if that's something that you're going sure. on. Um, this is a the t- tens. Wait, so this is not this is not in uh, Kenya. It's not in Tanzania, Kenya, but, but okay. It, yeah. Yes, it's in. It goes into Tanzania. So th- this is a veterinary service trip. Okay. And essentially, and this is through um, Anna. And now, and now USA. And oh, so USA. Uh, okay. we're, we're leading this, we're oh, leading okay. this effort. Um, and uh, essentially we're just taking vets and it's the same thing I mentioned earlier. We're taking veterinarians and, and one of our board members, uh, Dr. Julia uh, is going to lead this service trip and, you know, they'll be going in doing vaccinations, flea and tick. Uh, you know, medications, they'll be deworming. Again, it's for dogs, cats, and donkeys, uh, and, and providing any other medical services that they can. Mm-hmm. So they kind of travel around to different communities and they offer these services for free. 
Uh, and it's a way of helping people care for their animals and their communities. And also, it, it's a way to help them deal with strays uh, because oh. uh, there's a certain fear around strays because of rabies, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way of helping to address that problem. Is it open only to, to veterinary or veterinary assistants, or who is this open to? Because it's, it's a trip it's, this spring, that's right, 2024? Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, it, it's mostly vets and veterinarian assistants, but it's really anybody who wants to come and, and do the work, and it is a lot of work. Is it? And Yes. And is it, is, is it two countries then? And it's, it's, it, um, I believe it's just in Tanzania, yeah. this one. Oh, we okay. Do, yeah, this one's oh. just in Tanzania. Yeah. Okay. So then, I mean, so if you were to, and I'll put a link to that on the website as well. If you're looking, I don't know if you're looking for people. I kind of, I, sure. I've seen it, it on your site. So I thought perhaps you were, um, I'm sure the more the merrier, right? Because you do pay your own way. I think it's around $3,600, but that's right. it's food and lodging and everything that, is that transportation? Do you pay your own way in addition to that? You, you do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you have to have the, the means to do it and, and the skill to do it, but, and certainly most important, the interest, well, most important probably the means, but <laughs> the yes, interest to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that could be really interesting for a lot of different people. I think, you know, at least we'll put it on there and thank you. Run it up the flag and see who salutes as they say. <laughs> um, I guess I had just a, uh, one or two more last quick questions while we still have a minute. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to, you did so much work at Regis that we didn't talk about. And I really, let, let me just touch on one thing here, which is your, this um, environmental studies, I think it's a master's degree. Can you talk about that a little bit? And is that a new program? Relatively new. It's a, a master of arts specialization in environmental studies. Okay. And that was, you know, I, I think that I took a sort of two-pronged approach to my concern about the environment. And mm-hmm. and, and one of them was to, to uh, involve myself in nonprofit work. And the other one was to think about uh, whether or not there was a pathway for me to morph the work that I was doing in academics. And what I found is that there is. Yeah. And that's, that's known as the environmental humanities. And it's a, that's that's a relative, yeah, it's a relatively new field of inquiry, mm-hmm. but, but, but it's simply, it says this, uh, philosophy and religion, and that's just, there are other disciplines within the humanities, but my focus, mm-hmm. philosophy and religion are disciplines um, that have a repository of uh, ideas that we can draw on to help us address uh, environmental problems. And so, so that's really what I set out to do was to think about and in philosophy. It's pretty well known uh, how philosophy, you know, environmental ethics, that's, that's more well known. I think it's less well known how religion uh, mm-hmm. can be a resource. Although I think that field has been and is growing, but, but that's what I attempted to do. And what I ended up doing at the end was working with faculty in communications and psychology and philosophy and different religious traditions. Mm. Um, and we crafted an interdisciplinary MA specialization and it has a, a, a communication focus. And yeah. so that our graduates are able to go out and talk about and address these issues, perhaps in the nonprofit world or other sectors. Yeah. We hope to add different, um, different emphases uh, to that environmental studies program, but that's that's what we're working on right now. We're actually talking to different people across the university, different faculty and programs, and things like that. Uh, but that's what we that's what we do. So, and when when did that program start? Is it, it really started. Yeah, it really started little before COVID, but didn't get launched until after COVID. Yeah, because everything yeah. kind of came to a a screeching halt during COVID, as we know. Every person I've talked to goes, well, before, it's just, it has to stop and explain this big <laughs> yes. lag and development of everything and how their lives completely switched gears. It's just, it's it's remarkable. We're still seeing yeah. the, how, how big of an impact it was. But, um, yeah. well, that's exciting. I, I'm thrilled to to hear that, mm-hmm. that Regis is offering that. And, and in that context, too, and in communications, which is, has been the problem, you know, but informed yes. communication, <laughs> in, in yes. communication based on a deep understanding. 
So, um, yes. I, boy, that's, that's, that's a fantastic, that, that might be your legacy. Thank I mean, you. cause that, 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 when you can start sharing that and passing it on to other people to share, you know, the, the ripple effect is real. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you. So and there's a lot me, of people involved in it. So kudos to course, them. Appreciate of course, but you know, you have to, yeah. yeah. And, 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 yeah. I, and I, I want to allow that for them and, and, and let them hear that because I'm sure you do have deep appreciation. I just also want to say that somebody has to start it and make it happen. Yeah, and and that's, that's critically important. And that's, it's not everybody who can do those things. So if you are a person who can do those things, can start something, you know, I think it's even more incumbent on, on one to do so. Um, and, and I guess just the last question would be about looking forward. You know, are you going to, are you continuing on this, 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 really tailored for you and for the world path you're on. I mean, cause you're, you, you've kind of settled in into this really thing that couldn't be you more, right? Would yeah. you say? <laughs> yes, I would. I mean, you, you asked me a question earlier. I, I want to say one thing. There's a, there's a quote that's attributed to St. Ignatius. I don't think he actually said it. He's the founder of, of the Jesuits. Um, oh. Go out and set the world on fire. So that's, that's a philosophy that I deeply ascribe to, you know, whatever that means for you and whatever way you can do it, uh, go out and set the world on fire, right? I mean, uh, add your light to the situation, um, and, and help be, be the, be the person who helps. But but you asked me earlier, and I didn't love answer that. the question love about that. yeah about where my love for animals came from. And I yeah, I want to quickly you for say that back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I think part of it came in this. If if people link out to that other podcast, I'll talk about it. Part of it was just me. I was the yeah. the kid who who wanted to play with the stuffed animals, not necessarily the dolls, right? Right. But I think some of that came from my dad. Who, who was a, a person who wasn't trained in medicine or anything like that, but he helped wild animals. Like if, a, if an animal, if a bird had broken a wing, uh, he helped reset it and re- released it. So, so I, I saw some of that in him. And so, so what I, it's, it is, and it's, it it's is. a wonderful legacy from him yeah. that he would stop and do that. He once brought a, a rabbit home that had been blinded. He saw people throwing rocks at a rabbit, and they blinded the rabbit in one eye. And he came home, and uh, you know, he brought it home and, and helped to heal it. But, but I guess what I hope is that you know, I'm, I'm working on uh, an edited volume on religion and endangered animals and really? animals. Huh. And, and I'm also working on a couple different articles, but one is on regenerative virtues. Um, and I'm working on that with two other colleagues. We've done two presentations on it now. Um, but it's about cultivating uh, regenerative habits and regenerate, you know, regenerative, regenerative ideas are derived from, from design. Mm-hmm. But it's this, this notion of, of regenerative design. It's design that doesn't, it's not simply sustainable, but it creates co-thriving, mm-hmm. right? Between mm-hmm. whatever's being designed and the environment and the people. And so, so regenerative virtues are how do we help cultivate habits in people so that they live a regenerative lifestyle, so that their very being is regenerative. And that's a, a paper and project that I'm working on. So those are kind of my, my writing goals right now and things that I'm really focused on. And then also thinking about how to expand our environmental studies program because we have a couple of offers from nonprofits, they would like to bring our students, you know, to different parts of the world, really, um, to do internships and things mm-hmm. like that. So we're we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. So, wow, you yeah. know that that's all. I'm so glad you added those in because they're all really interesting, and I feel like that paper could easily be a book <laughs> maybe maybe it's going to be i don't know how long a paper is going to be but a long um, paper so far <laughs> yeah but there's so much there there you know i mean because it's uh i don't know if you've read paul hawkins book on regeneration but i mean yeah. when you when you see how much as he always calls it the cascading events that come or yeah, the cascading benefits that come from living a sustainable, regenerative world, creating one. It's yes. just everybody wins, you know. 
everybody right. wins and 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 there's well, no yeah. there's no argument against it you know there's only good to be had there yeah um, right. even if money's your only goal there's even money to be had there you know so we just have to look at new ways of of, of being in the world and boy are you contributing to how we can helping us look at it and I, I i appreciate that thank you so much for everything that you do it's 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 heartwarming and it's and it energizes me and i think it will energize others as well to know that you can just devote your entire life to to just making the world better and you know that's what you've done <laughs> and and it served you as well right you're saying no. you, you, you've had, your life has been rich and you know it's no it's it's unimaginable to me now even mm -hmm. when I think about my, my journey in, into a PhD, I didn't envision ending up here. Yeah. And it, but it's wonderful. Yeah. And thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. And thank you for yeah. this podcast. Thank and you so much. Putting these ideas out in the world. Yeah. Everybody keep sending them out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. I, right, Janet, thank you so, so much. Yes. Um, have a lovely holiday season and, um, might follow you up a little faster than 10 years this time. <laughs> right. That would that would be wonderful. And, and same to you. I hope you have a wonderful okay. holiday as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.